Welcome to Generals and Napoleon. Thank you for joining us. In this podcast, we will take an in-depth look at the generals of the Napoleonic era from all countries and some of the Napoleonic era's greatest battles. We will also take a deep dive into the rise and fall of the first French Empire. I don't claim to be an expert on the subject, but I find the case study of Napoleon to be endlessly fascinating. He and his soldiers are great examples of how far hard work and a little bit of luck will take you. Napoleon famously remarked that he always wanted lucky generals because he was fully aware that the harder somebody worked, the luckier they usually became. Before we jump into the stories, some disclaimers. I have taught history at the secondary level in public schools, but I haven't published any works or books on Napoleon or his generals. There are 300,000 books written historically about Napoleon that would provide a great more detail on his story if you are so inclined. I have been to France, but I am not fluent in French, so please excuse any mispronunciations of names or places. My sources are a variety of books, first-person accounts, diaries from the era, and historical data. I will try to focus on the facts and omit most of the rumors and conspiracy theories. My itinerary of episodes will begin with this one, followed by a question and answer segment. We will then move on to his primary First Empire generals, such as Berthier, Murat, and Ney, to name a few. These top officers were called marshals, and there was no higher rank or achievement than becoming a marshal in the Napoleonic Empire. If being an officer could be equated to being a rock star in that era, then the marshals were rock gods. Their names echoed throughout Europe during that time, and still to this day. Due to their repeated victories and endless propaganda, Napoleon's marshals were feared, respected, and admired around the globe. For instance, when General Audenot was promoted to marshal following the 1809 campaign, he received a letter of congratulations from Tsar Alexander of Russia, who had been France's opponent just two years earlier. Napoleon named 26 marshals in total, so we will focus on these men in the early episodes. Another night, 17 soldiers who served under Napoleon did secure a promotion to the marshalate after his fall from power in 1815. Lauriston, Molitor, and Girard, to name a few of these generals. The honor of Marshal of France had been abolished in 1793 amidst the turmoil of the French Revolution. As many of France's nobles and elite officers fled the country during the Reign of Terror, Napoleon sought to create a new ruling class and thus reinstituted the marshalate in May of 1804. This act appeased many potential rivals in the military and provided political support for Napoleon from different segments of the army. Seven of the original 18 marshals were drawn from the French army of Italy, where Napoleon gained his early reputation. Seven were taken from the army of the Rhine near Germany and two were taken from the army of the Pyrenees near Spain. The remaining two Marshal Bretons were given to the elder soldier statesman, Surye and Kellerman, who was the hero of the Battle of Valmy. So now let's jump into some quick question and answers about Napoleon and his marshals. For my question and answer segment, I've selected seven topics that historians still debate to this day. The first being, is Napoleon the greatest general of all time? My opinion is yes, he is. I know others might say Julius Caesar or Alexander the Great, 
But Napoleon fought across three continents and many climates against a variety of foes for over two decades. He was engaged in at least 70 battles over his career, winning 59 of them, with only 11 battles resulting in a loss or draw. This means he was victorious 84% of the time. He also won many of his battles with inferior numbers versus his enemy. This demonstrates he possessed superior tactical ability versus the generals of the opposing armies. Napoleon was so prolific, there was a 10-year period from 1799 to 1809 where he didn't lose a single battle. Indeed, most of his battle losses occurred during the end of his empire, from 1812 to 1814, when he was low on troops and supplies. Although he was a voracious reader of books and military history, he never really cared about what previous generals had done in similar battles. He went to a battlefield, did a few equations of probability in his head, and knew where to position his troops. His maxims and strategies are still studied at military schools around the world to this very day. If you are still unsure if he was the greatest, here's a list of opposing generals Napoleon defeated. Mind you, all of these men had a plan for victory, gave Napoleon their very best shot, and still lost. Their names are Argento, Provera, Bailu, defeated twice, Nor, Wormser, defeated three times by Napoleon, Davidovich, twice, Alvinci, twice, Winston Gerot, Murad Bey, Abdallah Bey, Mustafa Pasha, Melas, Mac, Kutusov, twice, Hohenlo, Kamensky, Benningsen, San Juan, Hiller, Konovnitsyn, De Tolly, Schwarzenberg, Reed, Wittgenstein, Osofiev, Sakin, York, and the last two, Blucher, lost to Napoleon five times, and Archduke Charles, a staggering six times. The next question, was Napoleon short? This is a common myth. He was actually five foot six inches tall, which is about average for a Frenchman of the time. The British listed him at five foot two inches tall and often depicted him as tiny in the press and in cartoon caricatures. In addition, the British referred to him as Little Bonnie. Even some French troops called him Le Petit Corporal, but the latter statement is more of a term of endearment. Early in the Italian campaigns, General Bonaparte would usually cite his cannon batteries himself, a job usually reserved for corporals. He also surrounded himself with his Imperial Guard at all times on the battlefield. The height requirement to be in this elite personal guard was six feet. The Imperial Guard uniform included a bearskin cap, which was a little, a little over a foot tall, so anyone would look smaller when standing next to these group of hulking soldiers. Next question, was he a genius? This is a tough question. On the battlefield, undoubtedly a genius. But my full answer is I don't know, although he was highly intelligent. In today's society, only 1% of the population tests at the genius level on IQ tests. Quick sidebar, please ignore any IQ estimates of Napoleon that you might find on the internet. The first modern IQ test wasn't developed until 1904 almost 90 years after Napoleon's death. My opinion is that he was always the hardest working person in any room. 
Growing up as he did, competing against his siblings first, and then his well-to-do military school classmates, instilled an incredible work ethic within him. He came to France as a nobody from what was considered a backwater territory of France. Forgive me if there are any Corsican listeners to this podcast. He also wanted to be the man in charge and he was a risk taker. He could work without sleep for several days straight, sometimes sitting on horseback for 20 hours a day and even eating his meals there. He understood the military maxim, get there the firstest with the mostest, as he hurriedly pressed his troops to march hundreds of miles to run circles around their opponents. He also incurred many failures in his life. He had a tumultuous first marriage with Josephine. His siblings were of constant displeasure to him. His Imperial Navy efforts were disasters, as was his continental system economic plan. And despite all warnings from his subordinates, he initiated two invasions that would bring down his empire, Spain and Portugal in 1807 and Russia in 1812. After tremendous losses in both endeavors, he had many opportunities to make peace with the rest of Europe. He spurned those olive branches, and this led to his eventual downfall. I believe that a battlefield was simple to Napoleon, much like music was to Beethoven or Mozart when they sat down at a piano. In this comparison, the battlefield was Napoleon's piano. So was he a genius? Probably. For our next question, what were the backgrounds of Napoleon's marshals? Well, Napoleon's sacred few were soldiers from diverse backgrounds. Some were former nobles from King Louis XVI's reign, while others were sons of commoners who worked their way up through the ranks. An attractive feature of the French army after the revolution was the opportunity to advance in rank based on merit. This was a radical idea at the time. In most pre-revolution royal armies in Europe, officers were only allowed to come from nobility. The highest rank a commoner could achieve was a non-commissioned officer, such as a sergeant or warrant officer. Ney was the son of a barrel maker. Audenot, a brewer. Lan and Mortier were the sons of farmers. Bernadotte, Soult, Monsi, and Brune were the sons of lawyers. Murat, possibly the most famous of all the marshals, was the son of an innkeeper. Only five of the 26 marshals originated from military families, Surya, Devu, MacDonald, Marmont, and Victor. There was an adage at the time that stated every soldier in Napoleon's army carried a baton in his backpack, meaning that the highest rank was available to anyone who worked hard enough to achieve it. I believe the marshals and the Grand Army were successful because, for the first time, the soldiers were promoted on merit instead of privilege. When a rising officer was lobbied by Napoleon's staff to become a general, Napoleon usually asked a simple question, is he lucky? Sounds ridiculous, but Napoleon really did believe in luck, and he also believed the harder you worked, the luckier you were. He was blessed and to have an, a large assortment of lucky, hardworking generals. Moving on to our next question. 
What were the rewards and dangers of being a marshal in Napoleon's empire? The rank of marshal in France is the highest honor a person can receive during wartime. Its tradition goes back to the 1200s. During Napoleon's reign, each marshal, or the big hats as they were called by the rank and file, received a baton decorated in blue velvet and adorned with a Latin inscription that translates, quote, terror and war, ornament and peace. Each marshal also received financial endowments, estates, dukedoms, and in some cases, kingdoms from Napoleon. Berthier received the most cash, 1.2 million francs per year. Ney, the second most with an average of 1 million francs per year. And Debu received the third most with 910,000 francs per year. The marshals were essentially viceroys for the emperor. As much as he tried, Napoleon could not be everywhere at once. All of the marshals were expected to lead from the front, and it was a very dangerous position. Most of the marshals were wounded in battle, with Odino being the most frequent recipient with over 35 battle scars. All the marshals were amazingly fearless, even for that era of honor and bravery. Only four of the 26, Massena, Brune, Monsi, and Kellerman were not wounded in battle at all. On the other hand, three of the marshals were killed as a result of wounds suffered in battle. So the rewards were great, but the dangers were plentiful. For our penultimate question, were the marshals of Napoleon effective without him? There is a common myth that Napoleon's commanders were only effective when he was on the battlefield. After diving into and analyzing the battle numbers, this is a falsehood. For the purposes of this podcast, I analyzed the one lost record of every battle fought by the French army from 1793 to 1815. Quote unquote, winning a battle is a hard thing to define, as even winning armies can take huge casualties. For the purposes of this podcast, we will count winning as controlling the battlefield after the battle was over, or the taking of a castle or other fixed position after a siege was over. We will qualify losing a battle as retreating or losing control of a castle or fixed position. When it comes to this metric, most of Napoleon's marshals had winning battle records on their own, meaning without Napoleon in the immediate area. Some had very impressive one-loss records, such as Lan, Bernadotte, Murat, and Davout, of whom it said never lost a battle. Others, like Soult and MacDonald, had more losses than victories, but were still trusted by Napoleon with important tasks and their objectives. A final point is the question of whether Napoleon would have been successful without these brilliant men arguably the greatest collection of military talent in history. I can't think of any other group of generals that have had so much research done about them. You don't often find books about the generals of Alexander the Great, Charlemagne, Genghis Khan, or Frederick the Great. The generals of Napoleon were the celebrities of their age, and they won battles with the emperor and without the emperor. For our final question, Did the marshals cooperate with each other? Another misconception is that the marshalate argued incessantly and never helped each other. 
The first part is semi-accurate. The latter is totally incorrect. Many examples point to the marshals helping each other, even in Spain and Russia, where it appeared to be every man for himself. The Battle of Borodino is an example of several marshals putting their heads together to accomplish a near impossible task of taking a prepared defensive position. In this battle, Napoleon was a mile away from the battlefield and a bit under the weather. Murat, Ney, Devu, Prince Eugene, and Poniatowski essentially drew up an attack plan in the dirt after several failed attempts to dislodge the Russian army and eventually forced the Russians to retreat. There are several other examples of the marshals contributing and helping each other that we'll get to during our podcast. For now, thank you for joining me on this initial episode. And please join me again next time when we dive into the life of Napoleon's right-hand man, Marshal Berthier.